Hello and welcome back to JLXP post-LCS Finals episode. It is currently 8 p.m. in Chicago, and I'm actually going to try and put this out on YouTube as soon as possible. So before the normal 6 a.m. PST release on Monday that I will do after an LCS weekend, only because there's also the Worlds draw that happened right after LCS. So in this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Worlds draw and more as well on Worlds history and also my significant gripes with the draw system. But first, definitely talk about the weekend we just had where EG lost in five games to 100 Thieves and then 100 Thieves got swept once again in a final this time by Cloud9, and talk about their rise a little bit. So I think I do want to start this episode with the champs, with Cloud9. They continued to ramp up, and I'll break down the individual games a little bit, but I think, especially in post-series recaps, it's a little bit less about the details, and in postseason recaps, it's a little bit less about the details, and you can more see the general through line that follows these teams throughout the year. And I think for Cloud9, the meta and the way that it suited their players could almost not have been better. And Zvan alluded to this to this in his interview afterwards, where he just said support is so easy. He has a psychopath jungler and a really good AD carry, and he just plays Yumi Lulu, presses E, and says, you're doing it! You're, good job! And it was funny, because Ven had funny delivery, but it was also very true. And they had the best AD carry in playoffs, especially in teamfights. I think Danny would have been able to be as good in teamfights. Part of the reason EG was able to win spring, but just Danny was not playing for reasons we're not going to completely talk about. He... I know the same as you guys do, where he stepped down for mental health issues. And then they also have Blabber, the greatest... I mean, he didn't win greatest jungler in LCS history, but he's had the greatest five-year run of a jungler in LCS history, in my opinion, with his two MVPs and now his third title, first one in summer. And then on top of that, they had Fudge, who, through his trials and tribulations in mid lane and added experience was just a menace for teams to deal with in draft because he knew all the counterpicks and I don't think someday did and I think that really handcuffed a lot of what 100 Thieves could do in draft and then to top it all off they had Jensen just playing Zillion and Oriana and the Blanc Azir kind of throughout the whole split which were champions he's always been very good and comfortable with his whole career. And they fit as almost a second support on top of what Zven was doing for Blabber and Berserker and made them this incredibly versatile drafting team. But then also it just felt like they were nearly unbeatable in fights. And on the Zven point, this one's actually really interesting to me. I'm not sure if I've made it on the show before. The way the meta shifted towards Yumi Lulu was pretty perfect for his first split as a support. And I do worry a little bit 
about possible Yumi like gutting before worlds if enchanters become easier to ban out. Because considering the fact, stay with me here, that melee supports, tank supports, Leona, Nautilus, even Thresh, Alistair, have basically been all Tom Kench, all the experienced supports have been playing for the past five years because it didn't seem possible to not play tank supports for about five years. And then this year, Enchanters became meta. The guys that have been playing for five years were relearning the Enchanters at the same pace that Zven was learning the Enchanters. So there wasn't nearly the experience gap in terms of champion mastery and the way you play out the game with an enchanter versus within a tank between Zven and any very experienced support. But if at Worlds, Zven has to go head-to-head, Nautilus versus Leona, I think you're going to see the experience gap more. But here's to hoping it doesn't because he's really good at the current meta that they've been able to play. And I'll be really curious to see if Cloud9 can maintain the improvement they've shown in North America because they just have so much momentum and good vibes going into the world championship, which is, which is pretty close. Like in less than a month, they're going to be playing their group stage games. Another thing that is intriguing to me, but I don't want to necessarily make too many conclusions about is weirdly enough, the C9 gaming house kind of having that discussion again. I was talking to Fudge, and he mentioned that they talk so much about League outside of League, if that makes sense. So outside of just the 25 minutes you have between the scrim blocks, they just talk about it so much because they live in the C9 house. That is still a core part of C9's culture. The players, the coaches some of the management, all still live together. That's very 2014, 2015, very infeasible for a lot of current pros who have long-term girlfriends or SO or want to have separation from work and life. There's definitely like a stage in your life where I feel like that is optimal and a stage in your life where that can't be the case. But Cloud9 is very clear. If you are going to be in this organization, you are living this lifestyle. And I think that is part of the C9 systems that has been working for them year over year and pretty much never gets talked about. The other system can definitely work. I've seen it work. I mean, Team Liquid made many world championships with players being in an apartment and having an office space that they go into. But Cloud9 has stuck with this old school gaming house model and been very successful, as is proven by yet another title and like I mentioned in the last episode, making Worlds at least once every year since the inception of the LCS. Ten years in a row. So, hats off to them. Berserker won player of the series. I think that is well-deserved based on the way he played. He died once. He was frontlining in teamfights. They were building team compositions completely around supporting him and Blabber, as Ven talked about in his post-game interviews. And he really has just continued to level up since the very first Aphelios game he played in LCS, where he looked just like the best Aphelios in the LCS already, but so, so confident 
when this guy gets goal that he's going to have a high chance of carrying the game. And he's communicating better, it seems like, every day that he's in North America and getting better at English. The coolest moment probably was the blabber moment in the interview, if people didn't see it. Blabber is someone who I feel like we don't know very well, despite him being such an amazing jungler in North America. But he definitely loves League and is incredibly passionate. Weirdly enough, I didn't even realize this until I watched Travis's, like Travis Gafford's pop quiz interview where he had a collection of pros and he just asked them to go back split by split from 2021 spring all the way back to 2013 spring and name each LCS champion in descending order and then name three players on each LCS team. Not many people can do that. And none of the pros other than Blabber made it past like 2016 before making a mistake. Blabber ran everything. And he only messed up on 2013 TSM where he just said Bjergsen because Bjergsen was an autopilot answer for someone on TSM. And immediately after he said, he's like, ah, crap, it was Reggie. So he just knew who won LCS every single split. And like, think about how old he was when those splits were happening, right? He's been deep in league and following the pro scene or being a part of the pro scene for 10 years, well before he was old enough to even play in the LCS. So he definitely really cares about the region and he really cares about what people think. And what I mean by what people think is just the emotion he showed when the fans were so supportive. You didn't quite hear all of it on broadcast. It started with like a blabber, blabber chant. There were some blabbers, crabbers stuff in there. And then the MVP chant is the one that really came through. And it was the first time he got to win an LCS title in front of a live audience. And he'd had moments in the past where he'd been destroyed on a stage. Things haven't gone well at Worlds for him. Things didn't go well in past LCS finals with, with fans. And during COVID, he won two MVPs, won two titles, but he still never had that high-pressure moment where the fans could really let him feel the appreciation for all that he's accomplished in the LCS. That was one of the coolest moments of the day. Probably the coolest moment of the day was the fans showing Blabber the appreciation he deserves and him just kind of taking it in and saying thank you. It was just so cool. So... Really hope to see him see him succeed. I'm going to talk about 100 Thieves real quick before we go to the world's topics. Super disappointing for them. You could see they didn't really want to linger around on stage. They were pretty devastated. Getting swept twice in a row in finals is going to be something I hope they can bounce back from before Worlds because it, it, just, it seemed like it meant so much to them to be able to win, especially closer having Michael Jordan as one of his favorite athletes playing in the United Center, taking a photo in front of the Michael Jordan statue, having the fans cheer for him in Chicago as he's introduced on stage, and then to just get swept again is a pretty hard pill to swallow. I think <sighs> the way they won a lot of this year was by just sticking with teams in the early game. Occasionally, like, they won a huge mid-game team fight against EG in the regular season when EG was, like, peak form. They won that game. But 
for the most part, they had a lot of really good late game team fighting compositions and closer and the rest of the team were creative enough at mitigating disaster early on. And they just had amazing team fight fundamentals and great synergy because they've been the exact same roster for three splits. But if you think about just the way like the drafts played out in the top lane, they played Malphite into Kennen LeBlanc. So he can't armor stack because of the, and even Zeri. Like Zeri, Frozen Heart's kind of good, but Malphite's still just going to blow up. Then they picked Fiora two games in a row. That's just from the start, you don't have strong team fighting. Add to the fact that Jensen was really on point. So Abadaga never really got going. And the games just got accelerated on them too quickly. They were losing third dragon fights at 15 minutes, and then the goal lead was four to five thousand, and then it was over. So I still think it was a really good year for them. But just a really, really quiet finish. And it's too bad because it, it could have been the completion of a really cool arc for them. As we talked about previously in the last two years, now that it's completed, it was C9 who won first, 2021 spring. Hunter Thieves who won second in summer. EG who won third in spring of this year. And those were the top three teams. So whoever came out on top in this finals weekend was going to be the best North American team of these last two years. And now it's C9. It's not 100 Thieves, even though they made finals three times. They only won three finals games. They lost six. They've been swept twice in a row, which is pretty devastating. EG, I thought they weren't that disappointed after the loss. I think they were pretty trying circumstances for them, having to play with Cowrie on very short notice. Got a quick chance to talk to Vulcan as he was off the analyst desk. He likes playing with them. Comms were a little bit tough because of the accent and they had less than a week of scrims so as I shared in the last episode that is something that we dealt with on TL in 2021 spring when we had to play with our Mayo but the team's confidence with the sub even in EG's case was very high they were very close to winning that series it went to five games like every loser's bracket game lower bracket game did the entire playoffs so they're going to be looking towards worlds with hopefully a lot of confidence in the post game interview as well one of their coaches, Turtle, said he can't commit to it, but it's pretty likely that Cowrie is their AD carry at Worlds. So that's going to change the way we have to set our expectations for them. And I think we'll foyer nicely into all of the stuff I want to talk about with Worlds. So let us begin. I need to pull up some formats and some documents. First off, play-in is different this year than it's ever been in terms of the teams that are playing. There is no CIS team, so Global Lolly Sports decided to add a fourth European team to the tournament. So there are now four EU teams, four LPL teams, four LCK teams. And I think for the structure of this, I need to start further back. I don't completely know what the goal of Worlds is or this format. It's definitely tilted, I think, too far towards let's just make sure 
as many of the like best teams are in the tournament rather than let's make a very competitive tournament that can showcase the top teams from around the world in an exciting way. So with the goals that I stated, I don't think LPL, LCK, LEC, anyone should ever have more than three teams go to Worlds. I don't, I hate the possibility of three weeks of the tournament being left, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, and only have two of the global League of Legends regions be represented. I just don't like that. I don't think it's necessary. And I don't think those regions gain anything from that. Having a fourth team versus having just three teams, in terms of the globe, like the health of the ecosystem or the excitement of the viewers of those regions, like it's a marginal bump at best. Like, hoorah, we got four instead of three. Awesome. Compared to the devastation of EU or NA, happen to NA a lot, of having no one to watch, having no one to root for. Especially when you're bouncing around all these different parts of the world to have your world championship. It just sets up the deck against them, and I don't think it's necessary. So with that, I think the pooling could also be improved all the way down to play-in. So here's how the play-in bracket works. There are 12 teams in play-in of the total 24 in Worlds. So half of the world's teams are in play-in. Six teams per group. They will play a single round robin. Only two teams will be eliminated off of that, which seems fair since it's the best of one, right? Then the third seed will play the fourth seed in a best of. And the winner of that will cross play the number two from the other group. So go if you really want to see the graphics, Leaguepedia is the best way to do this. Just type in Leaguepedia Worlds 2022 and you'll see all the brackets that I'm talking about if, if, if you really want to follow along or you can just listen. But with that, you really want to make sure the groups are fair. And my biggest gripe with this seating is the play-in pools. So they had pool one teams as RNG and DRX, China and Korea 4, also EU3, and also PCS2. But here's a question. How big is the gap between China 4, Korea 4, and then everybody else? I think if anyone's just looking at a bracket, or even looking at, like, world's history for how well any of these regions have performed... They are in a pool of their own. So just put them in a pool of their own. Don't make it possible for them to be drawn into the same play-in group. Yet it was possible for them to be drawn into the same play-in group, and it happened. So you now have Group B with DRX and RNG, then Saigon Buffalo, Mad Lions, Istanbul Wildcats, Wildcats, and Isaris Gaming. The other group then has Fnatic and Beyond Gaming. Those two teams are deemed as adequately strong as DRX and RNG by the system. By design, this system is saying, that's, that's, that checks out. No way, man. The reason this is a problem, okay, is now 
it is so much easier for EG to get out or Fnatic to get out than it is for Mad Lions or Saigon Buffalo teams that should roughly be in the same pool. I, I don't even need really want to get into why EG is pool two and Beyond Gaming is pool one. I also think that's an inaccurate thing, but I don't have quite as strong a case. So, okay, long story short, what this means is there are, let, let's talk about the like, if we're just putting a tier list on teams in play, and let's call these like S tier play in teams. You have DRX, RNG, those are like S tier. It's really hard to imagine them not going through. Then you have your A tier play in teams, Fnatic, EG, and Mad Lions. Arguably, Beyond Gaming, Saigon Buffalo are like either also A tier or probably B tier. Only four of those teams get to advance. Yet, teams that are automatically granted into the group stage are CTBC Flying Oyster and GAM Esports, Gigabyte Marines. The power rankings are just way off. There are significantly stronger teams in play-in than there are in the group stage. So, I know it's always a balance and there is some level balance. Like I said at the start of the video, I, I like the fact, like I want a Worlds format that has a good chance of showcasing various regions' strength and it shouldn't be just the best teams that go in. But there's, it's just inconsistent and random, which is one of my biggest problems. Like it can be more consistent if the pooling is done more accurately based on the team strength. So anyway, what I think will happen in play-in stage is RNG as the MSI champions who were ended up being fourth in the LPL will probably be top of group B. Top of each group ends up auto-qualifying for group stage. So either, so it's probably RNG in group B, but if they literally just drop one game to DRX, it's going to be DRX. And then in group A, Fnatic or EG is likely going to auto-qualify depending on who wins that best of one. But when the cross-play comes in is when it's going to get really interesting. So let's just assume Evil Geniuses is second place in their group. And let's just assume, which is a safe assumption, that DRX and RNG are one and two. Mad Lions will then play a best of five against EG to see if they can make groups. That's actually very exciting. Again, I don't think some of these teams should even be in Worlds, but it's going to be a very possibly memeable moment. Where the disaster kind of happens, though, is let's say like Mad flips a best of one against DRX because they get blue side and DRX messes up in draft and DRX drops to three. Then the two seed from group A, Fnatic, EG, will likely have to play a best of five against DRX just to make it into group stage. So it's definitely reason to tune in, but not a fan personally. Okay, let's talk about the, the main group draw as well. So here's how the groups panned out. We got, I got to refresh. I was looking like an hour ago. Group A so far has Cloud9, T1, EDG. I'll start with that. Storyline-wise, it's, it's freaking amazing, right? We have the same three organizations that shared a group in 2017. And the longevity of the sport also comes through because Jensen, Scout, and Faker are all going to be playing against each other again, just like they did back in 2017. The glimmer of hope for Cloud9 is that they actually advance from that group. 
EDG definitely underperformed early on, started that group 03. Didn't clutch up by the end of it enough to make it. Well, I actually think they did. Uh, but they didn't have the right tiebreaker situations to be able to, to make it through. Group B, JD Gaming, JDG Gaming, G2 Esports, and Domwon. Another just ridiculous group. Group C, Rogue, Pop Esports, and Gigabyte Marines, and then TBD. That group feels easier at first glance and will still likely be the easiest group. But based on the fact that there are four Korean teams and four Chinese teams, any group that doesn't have one of those will likely get the one that comes up from play-ins. So you, if DRX comes up, they can only go C. So expect DRX to be in that group. And then Group D, Genji, The Flying Oysters, 100 Thieves, and TBD. But TBD is probably RNG. So that group is actually completely killer. So when, where this worked would be, I'd say for Rogue, it worked appropriately. They were supposed to be awarded a pool one seed, which puts them as a top team. And their reward for winning LEC was the fact that they get that. So you would want best the most favorable group for an eu team to be the group that the number one eu team is in that would be like your ideal design that's like the only team that this happened for like cloud nine is not rewarded <laughs> by being in the group with t1 and edg but there's also no easy groups when you're putting in four cn four kr and i have some world's history stats here to kind of back this up. These are actually pretty amazing. So Worlds has had roughly the same format, four groups of four, to then advance eight total teams to quarterfinals since 2014. So we have eight group stages to pull from. In only the last two years, has fourth seeds been added into the equation? And so far, they actually haven't made that large of an impact, even though they have the potential to do so. So in 2020, LGD was the fourth seed from the LPL. They made no noise. And last year, the fourth seed from the LPL, LNG, ended up in this four-way tie in the Gen G Mad Lions TL group and lost a tiebreaker and didn't advance. So two of those LPL four seeds actually didn't make it through, yet I highly expect the RNG fourth seed to make it through to quarterfinals. Obviously, we'll have to see. Here's some stats, though. Of 25 Korean teams to be in the group stage, how many do you think made it through the group stage? 24. Only once in the history of worlds of this format has an LCK team not made it out of groups. And that was 2018 Genji. So 24 of 25, 96% of the time. LPL, 18 of 25, 72% of teams that are in groups, how many make it out? And only two last year. Last year, Korea, all four made it out. Hanwha, 
the fourth seed from Korea, did make it out. LEC, 13 of 24, won last year, Mad Lions in the tiebreaker. NA, 6 of 24, won last year. And here's the crazier stat. From the 2014 to 2021 period, C9 and TSM were the 2014 team that made it through. Who do you think made it through in 2016? C9. What about 2017? Oh, yeah, it was that T1 EDG group. C9 made it through. What about 2021? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was the Perks Blabber. Wait, what about 2018? Oh, yeah. It was C9 again. So, I mean, five of the six NA groups advancements at Worlds have all been C9. And they've made finals in every single year of LCS history at least once. So it's a pretty damn impressive legacy. Uh, also, LMS slash PCS is at 2 of 17. Only in 2015 did they advance, and that was AHQ and Flash Wolves back in 2015. So uh, just a couple more stats, just because I haven't compiled. The all-time win rate of Korea in group stage is 77%. Of course, the all-time is going back to 2014. All-time win rate of LPL is 60%. LEC is 48%. NA is 42%, and LMS is 30%. So some interesting things to track is I think we were dangerously close last year. Dangerously close to only having two regions go through to the, to the quarterfinals. Mad Lions was 3-3, made it through narrowly on a tiebreaker. LNG was also 3-3. TL was also 3-3. So that could have gone any number of directions, either with both NA and EU getting out or no NA and EU getting out. And then the only NA team to make it out was actually the NA team with the worst record. It was Cloud9. They went 2-4. Teal went 3-3 and 100 Thieves also went 3-3. But because FPX crashed and burned, there was a three-way 2-4 and four tie and the C9 team won the tiebreakers. But like only through tiebreakers did the world avoid the total an utter takeover of the world championship by the LPL and the LCK. So big fingers crossed from my end that that does not happen. But I think that's going to do it for this JLXP. It's been a really cool year for the LCS, I think. We had some amazing storylines, especially with EG. They couldn't close it down at the end, but I hope they can make a run through plan, hop into one of those groups and make some noise. I hope Cloud9 can continue the story because if they can reach back and have that hard hard groups run, I actually ran into Jack on the way out. He was in good spirits. Hell, they've done it before in 2017. They've made it out of those groups. If you make it out of a hard group, it prepares you better and gives you a higher chance of making it to the semifinals. So, maybe. That's always got to be your idea as an any fan. Maybe. It could happen. They've made it out of groups six of 24 times. Why not seven? Why not eight? Why not nine? So just try and keep it positive. I'm a little, I want some format changes. I think next year they should change things up in a big way with the way they pool it and the way they even run the different stages of the tournament. But it is somewhat of a classic format. It has been largely the same for seven years. And it's that time of year. We saw really quickly Otto Wamne, Otto Wamne win his first title 
after years and years in the LEC. Super emotional moment. Really cool to see. Thanks for watching. I'm going to be doing more podcasts. I'm obviously not done. I'll do more podcasts leading up to Worlds. I don't have a specific schedule currently, but I'll make sure as I'm prepping, when I have interesting things to say, I will make the video, upload it, and, and share my thoughts. So thank you very much for listening to me in this LCS season, and I'll see more of everybody for Worlds.